Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Have a seat, everyone. Thanks, team. Thanks for leading us in those songs. Actually, you know, sometimes when the team is leading us, myself or Dave or the worship leader will talk about the theme. Are there songs that will really connect to what God is stretching us with and what we're trying to learn? And, you know, we, we didn't get a chance to talk actually this week with Dave, but we're talking about the theme of, of promises and what that looks like because you already got a glimpse of the fact that families and, and those of us who are committed to God, we make these covenants. We, 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 we worship a God who makes covenants with us. And a great idea for helping us understand this idea of covenant is promises. And so in a few minutes, we're going to talk more about that. But I, I want to say how, how thankful I am for many of you. I know some of you are just waiting because when you get here, it's like a little bit tight and the kids are dismissed and so it seems tight for space. Uh, our elders are praying about, you know, some space options, and so we're really thankful for uh, your patience as we continue to pray. I was saying to someone earlier this week, I don't think we own more chairs, so we need to buy more chairs as we make space, so it's a good thing that God is at work in a beautiful way. And, and for Easter especially, would you be praying about maybe someone you know or someone you've been talking with that would be able to maybe come and visit and hear about how you're learning about God? You know, there's a time where sometimes people are more sensitive to come and learn, and so would you just be praying about that, how you can invite someone to learn with us? Uh, we, we've been talking about a topic that's very hard to talk about. If you've been with us, you know. We've been talking about the theme of suffering, and suffering is one of those difficult topics, and the Bible talks a lot about it. And uh, last week as I was preparing, and even this week, uh, I was reading an article about this new uh, technological shift that's happening in our culture, and it has to do with this technology called ChatGPT. Have you ever heard of ChatGPT? Some of you maybe? If you haven't, you're dead. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it, it's just the, the new technology that is always emerging, and I think about how important it is as we celebrate child dedication to think that we're praying and preparing our kids for the world that is coming. And, you know, many times I grew up in church and, you know, there were two categories. There were like hide in the church and pray Jesus comes back and the world is all bad. Uh, or there's maybe some wisdom that we get in the Bible of saying not everything in the world is bad and not everything in the world is good. But help us to be the church as we're learning to navigate that. And so the last week when I saw this chat GPT, I was able to get like a, a login. I thought, let me just ask chat GPT to answer a question about suffering for us. You know, ChatGPT answers questions. It's like the most advanced kind of. It's like taking Google search and Siri on your phone and all of the internet within like 30 seconds and all the answers come together. Have any of you ever tried it before? Some of you? Yeah. And, and so it's pretty fascinating. So I asked it a question about suffering. And before I show you the question, I want to tell you that the question is not true. Because I, I thought, let me ask a question. If I was wrestling with suffering related to my mother, you know, my mom's here, so it's not, the question's not true. But I wanted, the, the, I wanted the question to feel like real about suffering. So this is what I asked ChatGPT. You can just go to the question. Slides it. 
why is my mom dying of cancer and when will her pain end? That was my question for ChatGPT. And what's fascinating is within like a few seconds, ChatGPT began to respond as if it was a person. I'm so sorry that your family's going through the suffering. And it just goes on and it just starts to write. And I'm like, this is like amazing. And then as I read through the response, it got to like this interesting section. And here's that section. You can go to the next slide. And the section says, at some point, you may, you may want to consider talking to a healthcare professional, such as a doctor or a nurse, on and on and on. So ChatGPT at some point says, I'm limited here. You might want to consider talking to humans. <laughs> Suffering stumps, ChatGPT. That as technology advances and as we celebrate the good things that we could do with technology, there's this sense that suffering or pain brings us always back to the limits of technology and our need for humanity. Our need for shared humanity, where we feel that someone understands our suffering. That we don't just need information or how to solve a problem, we, we need sometimes someone to just hold our hand and cry with us. We need someone to tell us that as they went through a certain kind of suffering, God was with them and that He could be with us. That there's something that we need to learn, that as the world changes, there's something about our humanity that requires us to be close to other people, and there's no other place in the world like the church for this. Because it's in the life of the church that God says to us that when you journey with one another, I will give you a special supernatural strength to carry each other's burdens. How amazing is that? Sometimes I don't even want to carry my own burdens. I don't care about yours. Right? Any selfish people or just a pastor today? Just me? Okay. Yeah, right. Liars. Right? But that there's a kind of strength that says, even as I think of my own burdens, how can I carry yours with you? There's supernatural strength that God gives us. And I don't know about you, but my whole life as I think about suffering, I know people, you know people that would say that there's something sometimes related to suffering that's led them to not believe in God anymore. And we've talked about that in this series. We're not going to rehash all of those topics. If you want to watch them, they're on YouTube. Uh, but, but we talked about how suffering makes us ask, like, why now? Why God? Why me? Why isn't God fixing everything? And then when we start to feel these doubts and these frustrations with God or what we believe about God, the world has other options. The world has these phrases, you know, that time heals all wounds, which we know is not true. And all of these things we start to believe because we feel like we have nothing else. But yet we as a church have decided we're going to let the Bible shape us in a deeper way so we think about suffering differently. And the way we've done this actually is by looking at a person in the Bible who lived and talked about suffering in a very painful time. It's always wise to learn from the Bible from people who, are, who have gone through things very different than our suffering. And some seasons in the Bible, the people who are suffering are going through things so much more challenging than we could ever imagine. Remember, they don't have Advil in the Bible. Some of you are like, amen, right? Like we have so many things that the minute we have pain for something, we're like, I'm taking something, I'll feel better. The biblical world is filled with suffering and pain and struggle. And people ask God, why? What's going on? Where are you? Will you fix this? How are you at work? And this morning I want to talk about this, and I want to talk to you again about this person named Isaiah, because some of you know this. Isaiah is this prophet in the Bible, and he's writing to the people of God in a time where they're going through like ups and downs of suffering and all these different types of suffering. But Isaiah addresses a really unique kind of suffering, and if you've been here, you know this. It's a kind of suffering that also attacks people who think that they will never suffer. 
You know, there's a time sometimes in our lives where we feel like we're above suffering. We're, we're the best country in the world. We have amazing technology. We shouldn't suffer. And Isaiah actually talks to kings in the Bible. Kings who are, like, should have everything that they need and are in power and are, are picked of God. And when they start to suffer, you want to make a mental note that when kings start to suffer, something is wrong. Isaiah does this because he reminds us that suffering sometimes finds the most powerful and the most proud to humble them. Isaiah says this to us. It's a good lesson for us, right? I've had times in my life where I thought, you know, I'm doing great, strong, committed, you know, I know what, what I need. Whenever I need God, I'll say a little prayer, maybe put some money in the offering, you know. And all of a sudden, that kind of confidence turns to pride, and that pride moves to a place where we don't need God anymore, and we lose a sense of what it means to trust God, because the Bible says lots about how pride sooner or later, makes our heart hard. And we are unable to see how God is at work anymore. This is not just a problem in the Bible with the kings. It's a problem still today. I've experienced this in my own life. Times where things are going great, and I, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not praying as much. I don't need this. And you know, I'm going to rely on what I think. And I forget to say, whoa, 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 let's just consider what God is maybe calling me to. Maybe you're in that season. Maybe you're, you're good at hiding that you're proud. But God knows that you're proud. Maybe you're good at pretending that everything's okay and that you're strong. Or maybe you actually are going through a great season where things are great. And God is just reminding you that I'm here when things are great, but I also want to be there when things are not great. How is God maybe calling you to commit to Him in a deeper way? When you read Isaiah, you have these seasons where Isaiah addresses these issues. He wants his people to be aware. He wants to correct them. He's going to teach them to confess that they've made some of these mistakes. But then Isaiah has sections of his letter that he writes about signs of hope, signs that God has heard his people's cries, signs that God has heard his people's prayers, and that hope is coming. And Isaiah does the most beautiful thing. When Isaiah, Isaiah starts to talk about this hope, he gives us these beautiful images, these kind of pictures that we would never imagine. And so I want to read one for you, and I want you to feel like as I read this, like this, just this beautiful image of what it would mean that when God's hope begins to stir, some things are going to happen that you did not expect would happen, and they involve children. This is what Isaiah says. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more, than, more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Can you imagine the, the picture of this? Whenever you read the Bible and you see images like this that are poetic and beautiful and kind of they don't really make sense, I often do this. I often think about how would an artist paint this passage? It often helps me to think about it because art and music and poetry are all these gifts of God to point to something that words just don't capture. We experience this sometimes in our relationships, right? Like, the, the, if you had to explain to somebody what it means to kiss somebody, you could ask ChatGPT, right? What is the feeling of kissing a person? Or you could do what? Kiss a person, right? There's a sense that there's some things that capture something deeper than even words can capture. And Isaiah is like, let me just tell you that as God begins to hear your prayers and move in your midst and he sees your suffering... I want you to think about someone who has suffered their whole life and who's prayed. A woman who's not been able to have a child. And that she will start to sing because God is doing something new now. 
as I, as I read this, I thought of the many times I've sat with husbands and wives who couldn't have children and how hard that is and how all the technology maybe hasn't helped. And to read Isaiah say that there's a time coming when there's an image I want you to understand of how beautiful it is when you're going to start to hear stories of old women having children. John the Baptist should go through your mind. Of women who shouldn't have children start to have children. There's this kind of imagery that slowly moves us to hearing more about Jesus, which we'll get to in a minute. But to, this morning, as we kind of talk about this idea, I want to just talk to you a little bit more about the danger of how we think about signs when we suffer. That when we suffer, we look for a sign, we look for God to show us something that means He's with us. And I have found that it is around the issue of suffering that we develop the most dangerous ways where people look for strange signs. And I, I was thinking about this week, and, and I, as I was working on my sermon, I rarely do this when I'm preparing, but I really have these three guidelines that I'm going to give you this morning. There are three guidelines to help you, help me, help us, think better about signs when we look for signs. Have you ever had, attempted to do that? You're going through a difficult time, you're like, I'm so desperate, God, give me a sign. It comes from a good place, but then it gets really weird fast. I remember years ago, I was at a camp, and I was sharing, and I was speaking to, like, mostly families, and a mom came up. She wanted to talk about her son. He's struggling, and she doesn't know what to do, and that as I was preaching, God gave her a sign. I was like, all right, let me have it. And she's like, I think it's a sign that God is, is going to help my son. And I said, how has God maybe spoken to you? She said to me, the shirt, the T-shirt that you're wearing, my son has that T-shirt. I think that's a sign. I said, negative. I said, okay. I didn't say that. But I was like, hey, let's just pray. That's the go-to thing to do. But I, I know the feeling. I know people, if you talk to them long enough, the universe gave them a sign. Or somebody else gave them a sign. And it's so important because when we suffer, we are more tempted than ever to live our spiritual life that way. When all your life is you looking for the next sign, you never grow as a mature Christian. When all your life is in suffering, thinking that God is giving you a special sign, Christianity looks more like magic rather than a life completely devoted to God even when there are no signs, even when God seems silent because the Bible and everything that Jesus has done is enough for us. So this morning I want to talk to you about the danger of just thinking of signs or looking for signs because they're always connected to times of suffering. I've seen this. So the first guideline I want to give you, you'll see it on the screen. It's a simple guideline. You can just go to it. It's the guideline that signs in the Bible, okay, first one, signs used by the biblical prophets are more serious than we realize in the Bible. Okay, just an important Bible lesson if you're learning the Bible. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. So just on your way out, just tell our team, they'll give you a Bible, okay? Uh, in the Bible, when the, the prophets share signs that are happening, some of them are future signs. Some of them are more imagery to stir people's hearts to have hope in God. But the biblical prophets have this important principle that makes them carry the responsibility and the weight of using signs in a very special way. The biblical prophets know that if the things that they say came from God and they do not come true, they can be stoned and killed. I think if we believed that, less people would go around talking about signs. Don't you think? Be like, you saw a sign about my life in a dream, yeah? Okay, let's write it down. And if it's wrong, I'm coming to your house with some rocks. I'd be like, okay, wait a second. Wait, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was from God. Maybe it was me because I miss you and I'm mad. 
Okay, that's better. We can read the Bible, hear about the signs. We want that too, and we're like, if God gave Isaiah signs, he's given me signs. Maybe. Sometimes. God does use certain things to get our attention, but we want to be very careful to not lose the weight of responsibility when we say, I think God spoke to me about this or about that, and I think it's for you. And if you ever want to grow and understand that, just here's an easy way. Just say, I think this might be the Lord. Right? And the next thing you'd say, hey, let's just pray about this. I think that this is what God seems to do in the Bible. So maybe he's doing that in your life. It's very dangerous for us to live in a world where suffering is everywhere and people are drawn so much more to like magical signs, the universe, the red light, that person coughed. Did you see my clock? That means I got to take that job. You're like, whoa, whoa, what is happening? In that kind of world, you don't need the Bible. You don't even need Jesus. Everything is magic. And people who are not Christians are so confused. I would be confused. So I'm not saying that signs are not sometimes helpful. But they carry a different responsibility when we're learning how the Bible and the biblical prophets use them. Also, you'll notice with people, if you're used to this habit of just in a time of suffering, in a time of difficulty, you see a sign, oh, the Lord said this to me about my family, or I have, I have a word from the Lord, all kinds of language that way, right? If you notice, it's never bad stuff. It's always good things. People won't say, you know, I have a sense that my kids are being disobedient, and because of that, I think God's going to punish them. It's usually something good's happening, and that's very normal because we're human. We believe God is good because He is good, and He does respond even when we're disobedient in a good way. But God also says that He detests the proud, and He shows up at times when we're disobedient to teach us new things. So some of those signs are there as well, and they should shape us and help us. Now, if you're reading Isaiah with us, I want to show you how Isaiah is going to talk about the uniqueness of a sign by pointing the people back to something God has always done. Because God's signs are not new all the time. They're the same because he's consistent. And Isaiah will say one of the great signs is that we worship a God who makes promises with us. This is what Isaiah is going to say. He's going to talk about covenants, the word covenant. He says this, as, as for me, this is my covenant with them. This is God speaking, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips on the lips of your children and on the lips of your descendants from the time on and forever, says the Lord. This is such a beautiful picture because we're talking about covenants and Isaiah wants us to understand that one of the great signs that the people would always have, it's not something that's new, it's not something like you need to see a red light or a green light, it's not like that. It's a sign of something that God has always done. It's a symbol of God's faithfulness all the time is that God is a God who's made promises to his people and that should be a sign for them. The word covenant means a God who makes these promises and his promises are connected to his nature. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about this idea that when God makes covenants, he's giving us a sign. So second guideline, very, very quickly, okay? Second guideline, you'll see it up here. You go to the second one, the first one. Be very careful about signs. The next slide. Okay, second guideline, the signs are an invitation into something deeper. Always. Man, I've seen me, like in my own life, I've seen like not do this well. There's been times in my life where I've struggled to believe in God. I remember when I was younger and I was thinking about dating. I was like, God, give me a sign which is going to be the right person. And in those seasons, I was so committed to God. Like I was praying. I was in it. I was so committed. And then I started to date someone and I was fine. 
I was like, sweet, I don't need God anymore. It wasn't that I wanted God to do something so that I could move closer to him. It's I just wanted a sign because I had an itch that I was dealing with and I just needed God to show me something. It was so immature. And in church, I heard about signs, and nobody helped me with this, that even when God gives us something that seems like a sign, it's always something that's meant to draw us closer to him and deeper in a relationship with him. Signs are never signs for themselves because God doesn't do magic. If you know a lot about the Bible and you've read the Bible well, you actually know that in Mark's gospel, one of, the, one of the letters we have about the life of Jesus, it's so powerful. If you've never read it and we give you a Bible today, you should read Mark's gospel. It's not that long, but you'll notice something fascinating that when Jesus does a miraculous sign early on, he will tell people not to tell anyone. It will always confuse you because you're like, wait a second, you just healed somebody and you want us to keep quiet? Jesus is like, yep, don't tell anyone. It's so weird for us because we're like marketing people. We're like, you know how much money we can make on this? Like, you sure don't need a website and a billboard because this is big. Jesus is like, no, because it's not about the sign. It's about people hearing about me at the right time so that they come and they follow me. That's the point. Signs are sometimes a gift from God. They help us, but they're not there just for themselves. They're meant to draw us into something deeper. And that something deeper is always connected to the life of a covenant with God. This deeper relationship with God, this deeper like awareness of wanting to be close to God and wanting God's ways to form our lives. You just saw parents do it in front of us. We as a church just shared a covenant practice. Like we said things back to these families and it's not only you, it's not only the parents, it's not only me, but we really believe that God heard us say we do to that. Can I just take a minute and show you why it's so hard for us to understand this? Because we live in a world of contracts. We are all shaped by a world made up of contracts. And I just have a simple image for you so you can see it in your mind. And this week, you can practice every time you notice this tension in your heart. Contracts are making a deal with somebody. We make a deal until a what? A better deal shows up. That's how contracts work. And some stores know that if you find a better deal, you bring it to that store and what will they do? They'll match that deal. Contracts are built on a very simple principle, and all of us grow up with this principle. How little can I do, and how much can I get? That's a good contract. If you're a business owner, you know that you've got to have that in your back pocket somewhere, every so often. Right? A contract world is a, a world where people say, how little do I have to do here? A contract world says, I'm committed to this until uh, something else happens. A covenant world is a different category altogether. And the Bible is shaped by covenants. A person who understands covenants always says, what's my special part that I have to play here? It's never, wow, that's amazing. We should go back there. If you ever want to serve with our kids, that's where the fun is happening. But think about how easy it is for us to read the Bible and then frame the Bible through contracts, through the things that we kind of like and the things that are in our favor and never understand that God is calling us to make covenants. God knew we would need covenants. God knew that we would look for a way to get out of everything. God knew how easily, and if you're a business owner or you're a teacher, you know how easily the kids or somebody you work, that works for you easily doesn't show up. Something else came up. There was a soccer game on. I don't know. Whatever. Covenants are this commitment that says, I'm not just saying yes because God is calling me to this, but I'm saying yes to this because I'm going to be accountable to God for fulfilling what I said here. 
Try that in our world. Try understanding that. And what's more powerful than all of this, whenever people read about covenants in the Bible and the word covenant was close to the word children, they always thought of something very painful. That all small boys in the Bible, after they were born, were part of a special covenant where they were circumcised. So covenant also meant pain and suffering. So much so that in the Jewish language, when you read the Bible and you see the word covenant, all the Jewish people would understand the word covenant as a cutting a covenant, not making a covenant. This is a very common practice. It's like us making a deal. It's like imagine like two people getting married, and as they get married, they cut each other's hand and blood all over the dress and say, ah, I don't know. It would be a mess, but it's the image of like, we're not just like making a deal or writing a prenup or just like this works for us for now. No, no, we're making a covenant. All of this is shaped into the biblical world. And it's so important because when suffering comes, you will rethink what you believe about God. When suffering comes, you will wonder about this God that you wanted to follow. And also you will wonder that maybe you should look for signs. Signs somewhere that will help you. Signs that will fix things. We need to go back to feeling the weight of what it means to make a covenant and to feel the burden and the pain sometimes of being in that covenant even when we don't see a sign, even when we're not sure. To wrap up, I want to just tell you about a dad, a soon-to-be dad in the Bible who struggles with this principle. He's living in a time where he's feeling like that maybe God is up to something. And if you know his story, he's dealing with someone who's about to have a baby the power of the Holy Spirit, what seems like a broken covenant, and he's confused and suffering. We meet this dad in the Bible, and you're like, when you meet him, you're like, wow. As a dad, as a husband, I'm like, I, I hope that's, that was never me. Like, I don't want any of that. It sounds very confusing. And this dad's name is Joseph. Joseph is someone we talk about maybe for like 16 seconds at Christmas time. And then we move on, and we're like, we wait till Christmas again. But you should know something about Joseph, the husband of Mary, who has made such a deep covenant to Mary that he's torn now because he's heard that she's having a baby because of the Lord. You know what that means? Sure. And he, he made a covenant so he doesn't know how to like, leave her because it's going to be a big deal. And he struggles with this. And the Bible says that he's torn and he's not sure what to do. And he's resting. And remember, Joseph knows the prophet Isaiah. The people in the New Testament know about how God worked in the life of Isaiah. They know that there are signs of hope when babies are being born, where they shouldn't be born. And Matthew tells us something so beautiful about what starts to happen in the life of Joseph. That's what he says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. This is so fascinating. I could just imagine Joseph thinking, like, why me? Why is this happening to me now? Like, for many of us, like, these stories kind of roll off our thoughts. We're like, yeah, I know the story. It's going to be great, happy, you know, Merry Christmas. It's we move on. But we don't, we miss that this is a story that's coming to us after the long years of suffering, the prophet Isaiah, and we have Joseph who's wrestling with the fact that he's made a covenant 
This special covenant was a covenant you made even before you were intimate with someone. And he doesn't want to break that covenant. He knows it's going to be suffering for him, but also it'll be a disgrace for Mary. And he wrestles with what to do. He wrestles with the pain of this. Can I just encourage you this week to pay attention to the times in your life when maybe it's easy for you to not to live up to your commitment or to what you said you're going to do? Can I just warn you that if you're a Christian, acting that way will give people a picture of the kind of God that you worship? It will tell people that you don't care about integrity, and that's a big deal if you're a Christian, because Jesus was all about integrity. We need to learn what it means to practice this, because when suffering comes, when pain comes, everything that you wanted to be committed to quickly goes away for something else that seems easier. It's easy. That's never going to go away, by the way. All of our kids, all of our grandchildren, they will be raised in a world of contracts, getting out of something, into something. And you know what? And if it it costs you something, you just pay a bit of money and you get out of it. Covenants don't work that way. Because we cut a covenant. And to break a covenant in the Bible was to experience the pain you experienced when you cut the covenant. One of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible is God who says, I am coming to cut a covenant with my people. I'm coming to make them a promise that I will always fulfill the things I said I'll do. And what's more more beautiful about this as well is even when we drop the ball, when we fail our part of the covenant, God shows up and says, let me just heal this and restore this. But remember, we made a covenant. This is deeper than just a contract. And Joseph is now in this moment, he's feeling this. He knows the law, he knows the prophets, he loves Mary, but it sounds weird, baby from the Holy Spirit. Can we agree? Very weird. But I wanted you to see this because what happens next is God sends Joseph a special sign. And the sign is that as Joseph goes into like, we don't know if he falls asleep, but it says that he's having a dream. We don't know if it's a daydream or a sleeping dream. God sends an angel to speak to Joseph. So beautiful. And the angel will quote from a special prophet. That's what it says. Do not be afraid, said the angel, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Which prophet? Prophet Isaiah. That the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. How many times did Joseph read that passage in Isaiah? How many times we've maybe thought about it? One day when God does something new, it's going to be like someone who shouldn't have a baby in a moment where you never expected something new is going to emerge. And Joseph is like, God is using us. Could this be true? Could this be true that God is giving us a sign to help us understand? Between me and you, like the angel for me would have been a sign enough. Right? I'm like, okay, I saw an angel. Listen, I'm good to go. Whatever. But an angel that knows Isaiah, that's another niveau. That's another level, right? Can I tell you the last guideline that you need to know? Signs are never to be taken lightly. Signs, when they do come, are meant to point us to something deeper. And also signs, while they begin in private, they are always discerned and approved in public. This is important. Too many people think that a sign is what they decide was a sign. And in the context of the church, we have to understand that the greatest sign that we get, which is Jesus coming as a child who is God, not with you, but God with us. 
So if God speaks to you, it's going to be us that will help you discern that. Not just you and your friend. So many people ruin their marriages, ruin their lives because they hear from God and they call their best friend. I'm like, okay, that's great. You should call your best friend. But is it God with us or God just with you? Whenever God with us becomes God with you, you're dealing in the realm of magic. Not in the story of the Bible. Because remember, the sign is not even that Jesus is coming. It's that there's a miracle and to that miracle there's a mission of which Jesus now will spend his life to step into. And Joseph will start to see that, wait a second, the prophet said this, Mary said this, John the Baptist is here. This sign is making sense because it's being discerned in a deeper way. And the sign that Joseph is given will draw him to a deeper obedience to the things that God is calling him to do. What a great lesson for us. When all we want is magic and signs, we get Jesus on a mission who invites us to be part of that. And all along, Jesus will experience suffering to accomplish the mission that God has given to him. Some of you this morning are at a place where God has been doing something in your life and you've used, I need a sign, I need more time, I need more this, to not take the next step that God is calling you to take. I know this. I know this because I've seen you grow and I've seen God stretch you. And over the past few weeks, we've been inviting you to do something that is the most powerful public sign you could give the world of Jesus having your heart, is you could decide to get baptized. And I wanted to take just some time this morning as we close. I'm just going to have just the, the band just come up. Dave just can come up and, and just quietly give you a chance to think about that for maybe for you, you've used the way of the world, looking for a sign, all these things, more as a way of stalling than as a way of responding to what God is doing. If you've been coming to the 180, if you've been watching online or on a podcast, and you've been growing, and you've been sensing God stretch you, let me just tell you that if Jesus has taught us anything, is that even he was baptized as it began to give the world a public sign that something new is about to happen now. That Jesus came and his sign of his birth was to point to call people to something deeper now. And he was, about to, he was baptized and his ministry began. So when we invite you and us to be baptized, we're just doing what Jesus did. Our baptism is not identical, but we're doing similar things. For some of you, maybe... You can't even remember the deep ways that God was at work when you got baptized. This happens to everybody. Over time, you know, I got baptized, I don't even remember, that church was weird, I don't even read my Bible. Are you a Christian? Of course I am, sure, sure. I had a sign. What a great morning for us to celebrate with families who made a covenant with us, to remember the covenant that God has asked us to make with him that we would say, Jesus, we want to be those who live in this world that offers us contracts to be those who commit to making covenants to each other because we will give an account to you one day. And if you're at that place where you're just there, you're, you just know, maybe you're even nervous because you're like, I feel like I need to be baptized, but it's in front of people. Yes, it is. It is. I've said it to many of you, and I'll say it again. That when somebody gets baptized, they don't just get baptized for themselves, they get baptized for us. Because we need a sign sometimes to see what's going on deeper in their heart. So we have a few days for some of you to think about this, because on Saturday morning we have a class for people getting baptized. 
Maybe for you this feels very weird because you kind of have grown up in a world where you've heard like signs and church and people have abused the Bible and they pretend to be false prophets and they say all these things. You know what? All those things were in the time of Isaiah. And Isaiah kept reminding people, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Don't believe every sign. They're not all from God. If it is from God, it's probably drawing people closer to Jesus and his ways. And when that happens, when that happens, others are always part of that journey to help us understand and discern what that is that God is saying. Because it's not about just God with you. Jesus came to be God with us. Let's just stand. I said it earlier and I'll say it again. That if you're a Christian, one of the things you learn very, very fast is that although God sometimes hints at things in our lives with people, conversation, a prayer, something that goes on, the greatest sign we have and almost the only sign we really need is the cross. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We're going to get a chance to move closer and closer away from our suffering to pay attention to Jesus' suffering. I don't know what God is going to do in your life, in our church, but I want to read a passage for you that encouraged Christians early on in the story of Christianity when they went through incredible pain and suffering. It would have been easy for them to quit, to move on, to doubt, to say, this is nonsense. How come God's not giving us a sign? This is what we're told, the letter to the Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You'll put it on the screen. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Consider him. Make him the sign. Who endured such opposition, some translations say suffering from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can you imagine that there's something that Jesus has done thousands of years ago that remains a sign for us so that we today would not lose heart. Before I pray, I just want to maybe talk to some of you this morning that you feel like you're losing heart. You feel like you just can't carry anymore. Maybe there's secrets, there's things you've done, and you feel the weight of that. The God who makes covenants is always near, and he's always faithful and kind. So in a minute, I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to dismiss. But if you're here and you feel that, either you're losing heart or you sense that it's time for you to make that commitment and be baptized, we'd love to talk with you. We have just a team of people in our prayer space that would pray with you. We will want to remind you that God has given us to each other so we would discern together how God is at work because Jesus came as God with us. Let's just pray. Father, for thousands of years, your followers have gathered in horrible situations, painful circumstances, many of them today even around the world now. And all they've needed is that one sign that on that cross you carried everything for us. So this morning we fix our eyes again on Jesus, 
the one who began this good work in us and who will complete it. And we ask you, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit that we see even in the life of Mary and Joseph, that you would help us to understand what you're calling us to, that you would help us to get more serious about the times you're calling us to a deeper covenant with you, deeper commitment in a world of contracts. This morning, I pray for those who feel like they're losing heart, who feel that maybe that they're alone or they're not sure, God, where you might be. I pray that you would protect them for the temptation of just looking for signs. This is their sign. That you are still worshipped by your people thousands of years later because you died and rose from the grave. As we go now, would you begin to stir in us the new things that are emerging in our lives? Would you help us to be ready for what you're going to do this Easter season? And would you give us the courage to just respond in a faithful way, especially for those who know it's time for them to be baptized? Give them the strength they need, Father, to share publicly what you're already doing personally. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we bless you. And we thank you for being with us and for learning. If you're new, please don't rush off. We'd love to say hi. Please greet the families on their way out, the small ones who dedicated their children. And uh, we see you next week as we begin Palm Sunday and celebrate that. God bless everyone. See you soon.